Hi, and welcome to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly program about finance, money and investing here on Radio Northern Beaches and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We are also going multi-channel to Spotify and YouTube, but primarily we are a radio show. I'm your host, Ray Treveson from OTG Capital, and today we're welcoming back to the microphone Natasha Panagis from IFPA, the Institute of Financial Professionals Australia. Aren't you pleased? I've got that out now really, really well. <laughs> Hi, Ray. How are you going? I'm really, really well. It's nice to welcome you back, Natasha, now that we're in a, a national format. Uh, you've been on the show recently. Uh, we were talking about all things super, and uh, I think it's good to maybe quickly remind the, the listeners what we were talking about previously, because some of that actually feeds into today. Yeah, sure. I mean, we've spoken about crypto and SMSFs. We've talked about um, rules that have changed to superannuation in terms of, you know, how much you can put in and it being expanded out, removal of work tests, allowing people to put more money into super. So the changes have been for the positive um, so far. But today, I suppose we're talking about something, something else. Um, yeah, yeah, it's going to be a little controversial today, I guess. And um, I, I guess one of those funny things, in the interests of balance, I, I'm not going to try and, and go um, uh, verbal fisticuffs with you because you're the expert, but I, I simply want to probe some questions to you as well because you've sent me through some great context. And so, ladies and gents, what we're talking about today is the $3 million cap that was announced by uh, the recently elected, well, it's not that recent now, is it? It's over a year ago now since uh, Albanese's government was voted in, but the uh, the finance ministers, um, Katie Gallagher, um, Dr. Um, uh, Dr. Doctor, he's just lost my... Um, Jim, Chalmers, Stephen, um, Jim Chalmers. Jim Chalmers, that's right, and Stephen Jones, who are primarily the, the three major heads of those uh, areas of interest, have come out with a, a really fascinating policy that's really drawn a lot of media ire, hasn't it? Uh, certainly. Um, it has. It's, and I wrote this article mainly because lots of people would have heard about this extra proposed new tax on super balances over $3 million. But um, And many think they might not be impacted by it because it's a tax on the rich or on people with high balances. But the fact is, um, everyday people could be impacted as well because of the way the uh, the new tax has been designed. So I wrote this article just to flag the six issues or some of the key issues that you might not know about the tax and how we could impact you. And, and uh, again, uh, ladies and gents, uh, I've been accused of being political in the past and today I'm going to desperately try very, very hard not to be. Uh, and so let's pick up on the first one. Uh, number one, you will pay tax on assets that have not been sold. I must admit I'm particularly cranky about this one because it creates so many issues. So maybe explain um, explain what's going on there. Sure. So, yeah, this is very unusual. I think it's the worst part of this new proposed tax. Um, put simply, this new 15% tax is unrelated to the actual taxable income that will be generated by your fund. Okay, so it's a tax on earnings or increases in account balances over $3 million. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be based on the difference between the balance of your super fund from the start of the financial year to the end of the financial year. And there'll be some adjustments for contributions that go in and payments that come out. So this growth that we're talking about is going to include anything that causes your fund balance to go up. So you know, things like interest, dividends, any rent that you might uh, receive on property that you might have in your fund, 
any capital gain. So all of these things that cause your balance to go up um, will, will be considered to be uh, growth. But it's also going to include any notional or any unrealised gains mm. on assets um, on assets that you might have in your fund, even if you haven't sold them. So you're going to have to pay tax on a capital gain on an asset that hasn't been realised or, in other words, sold. So that's the unfair part. And then you'll also pay capital gains tax when you eventually sell that asset as well. Uh, so this is this is what we're talking about, this, this tax on these unrealisable assets that haven't been sold. But if I give you a really simple example um, of how this would work, let's say you've got 1,000 shares, okay, um, in your fund, and let's say they're worth $10 each. So in other words, you've got $10,000 worth of shares in, in, in your fund, um, and let's say you get dividends off them, and let's say it's $1,000. So you generally expect to pay tax on those dividends, no questions asked. That's just the way the tax law works. But let's just say those shares went up in value by the end of the year and those same 1,000 shares, let's say they're now worth $12 per share. So now your total value is $12,000. Normally you wouldn't pay tax on that extra $2,000 until you sold the shares. But your earnings for the purposes of this new tax is going to include anything that causes your fund balance to yeah. go up right? Yeah. And so you, you'll be expected to pay tax on this $2,000, but you haven't actually sold those shares. So this is what's and, and, most angst. And, and I've got to tell you, I totally agree with you because the notion that you would have that out in the normal real world world suggests that at the end of each tax year, if you have a share portfolio, you have to pay tax on a notional gain, uh, whether it's been realised or not. We don't operate that way. And so this new rule that's going to apply to holders of more than $3 million in super seems to segregate out and doubly punish because you go on to suggest in your article as well that there is double uh, payment because not only do you pay that tax, but it doesn't appear to then take into consideration that when CGT is levied, that you get a discount for the tax that's already been paid on the gain previous years. And so I sit there and scratch my head. And, and I've got to say, at a previous conference down in Hobart, I actually got to meet Stephen Jones when he was still in opposition. I found him to be a pretty reasonable guy. And I'm just curious, you know, maybe as a side comment, Natasha, what's IFPA doing you know, what's Pippa and, and, and the lobbyists doing to maybe have a chat to, to the party at the moment in, in, gov in, in government and power to say, guys, this doesn't work. I mean, on so many different fronts, uh, I mean, it's an administrative nightmare. Putting fairness aside to one thing, because I want to talk about fairness at, a, at another juncture in today's show, but just the administrative nightmare of this, I'm looking at this going, oh, my God, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, definitely. Look, um, there was a consultation period open um, for this for this uh, consultation. Um, mm -hmm. We certainly did put a submission forward, and our submission effectively doesn't agree uh, with with the government's proposed new tax. Um, we think it's 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 unfair the way it has been designed, um, and and look, we we think that there are. Well, there are better ways to go about this um, and designing this new tax in which we have highlighted in our um, submission. Now, you know, if we do need to have um, an extra tax on high balances, um, our view is that let's let's look at actually taxing taxable income that a fund actually generates and excluding any unrealised gains from it. 
I, mean, I, I agree. I, I think that makes total sense. I mean, any time you start taxing unrealised gains, you, you set an ugly precedent right across the entire tax horizon that I, I think, quite frankly, I'm surprised I really am. I, I've got to be genuine having met this fellow and, you know, somebody has been talking to them in, in Treasury or, you know, they don't do this on their own. And so I'm always curious as to who has consulted to them and advised that this is a good strategy to, to propose. I mean, I, I want to talk about progressive tax because, you know, part of what we're talking about here is the fairness or otherwise. And so I wanted to maybe hark back to uh, the good old days, and I'm talking 1915, when the actual progressive tax system was put in play. And we're talking about, you know, in a progressive tax situation, the more you earn, the more you pay. And, and there was this wonderful thing in the West Wing years and years and years ago when a character there talks about, you know, just because you make lots and lots of money, it doesn't make sure that the fire engine comes to you 25 times more than other other people. And so, you know, we, we've got to be, I think, open-minded about the fact that the more you earn in this current way, you know, we, we are paying. But we're talking here right now. This doesn't, I think from a common sense perspective, Natasha, it doesn't make sense, does it? No, it doesn't. Look, the way that they've designed this new tax is based on simplicity of reporting. So they've, um, so what the government has done is they've looked at um, how how this could be designed. And so what they've said is, if they did it any other way, um, reporting actual taxable income in their view would would require significant changes um, in reporting by large APRA funds, and that's going to co come at a cost to members. So, uh, and not, we're not just talking about those with high high balances. So, even if this was true, even if the simplicity, um, the basis of simplicity, the simplicity of reporting should not come before fairness of a policy measure. <laughs> Right, um, and so they've, and this is because all super funds have to report to the ATO what um, the end balance of, of a person's superannuation balance is on 30 June. So this is an automatic process that happens every year, every 30 June to the ATO. So they're trying to leverage off existing reporting uh, requirements and just basing this extra 15% tax on balances that are already known to the ATO on 30 June. But, mm. you know, if we are looking at a change in tax settings for larger balances, there are so many other options that can deliver oh. a fairer fairer way to go about it. And the obvious approach is for the extra tax to be applied to actual tax, taxable income. And there are existing software programs available that can allow super funds to report actual taxable income at the fund level and at member levels. And so it's just leveraging off that um, that option um, or that alternative and, and actually taxing income that is generated, not taxing unrealised gains. Okay. Um, one of the uh, vagaries of doing one of these recordings, I've just had a phone call come in on my my mobile whilst we're chatting. I hope that didn't cut it out, but um, we'll we'll continue on regardless. Um, so I think we've got the big one right out of the way, wouldn't you accept, Natasha, that I, I totally agree that we're looking at a situation right now. It makes no sense. It's certainly not fair, but you know, if they're chasing simplicity, I think they've really you know barked up the wrong tree, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So the simplicity is being prioritised over fairness here. Um, and I think what the big issue here is that 
this is unprecedented. This is an unprecedented change. I agree. Um, I totally agree. It's seen as a wealth tax in my view, in, in most people's view. Um, the current tax regime in Australia only taxes capital gains when assets are actually sold. Um, and the risk here is that if this does get legislated, it becomes a precedent and the government may apply then apply this approach to any other assets you might hold um, in your own name or in other entities, for example, in companies or family trusts that you might have. So mm -hmm. if this gets legislated in super, who's to say that it won't apply to other assets you may ho hold in your own yep. name or in other entities? So as it's a so dangerous precedent. As so Humphrey Appleby would say, Minister, it's the thin edge of the wedge. Yeah. And on that and on that note, look, it's uh, just time now for a short break. You're here on Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly show about money for money, finance and investing. I'm here with Natasha Panagis from IFPA, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, and thank you for listening to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly radio program about finance, money and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and nationally on the community radio network around Australia. The views, comments and opinions aired during our program should not be construed or viewed as financial advice. Any commentary is general advice only and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider whether the advice is suitable for you and your personal circumstances. If in doubt, you should contact an authorised licensed financial planner. We welcome questions and feedback and you can get in touch with us via our blog, social media channels or email. Please search for Dollars and Making Sense in your favourite podcast platform or check out our blog at otgcapital.com.au forward slash blog. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly show about money, finance and investing. And at the microphone today, we have Natasha Panagis from the Institute of Financial Professionals Australia. And today we are talking about the $3 million tax cap on super now before we went to the break i think you and i are in absolute wild agreement that this idea that we're taxing um assets uh even before they're realized is just a bad way to go and and so let's put that one in the drawer and move on i think one of the aspects though that i, I find sometimes a, a little galling and i've actually listened to some interchange at uh, interchanges at uh, at uh, discussion groups where people that have very healthy super balances are all concerned that they're being taxed way too much at, at these upper levels do you see that there's any discussion still natasha around the use of super today uh, being used as intergenerational wealth transfer and that this attack on this three million dollar cap may be some way to address that yeah, that's definitely the feeling um, we're getting, particularly, you know, the government um, is, is mentioning uh, making reference back to the Retirement Income Review, which found that there will be a large uh, amount of um, superannuation left for inheritance as the baby boomers age and, um, you know, pass on. Uh, it, it's 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 been said that super um, people aren't drawing down on their super and they're leaving it, um, you know, they're just taking the minimum and nothing much more than that. Mm -hmm. Now, um that said, superannuation law has changed over the years. Uh, there have been the introduction of a transfer balance cap, which limits how much you can transfer in the pension phase and reduction in contribution cap. So all of these things that have changed over the years have certainly um, 
solve the issue where it has helped reduce the large number of um, balances that exist. And, and, and Natasha, I'm always at pains to sometimes uh, remind people who get very partisan in these discussions that those balance caps that you were referring to were brought in by a Liberal government. It, it wasn't. It wasn't Labor that. Do- and I, you could have knocked me over with a feather when I saw this legislation come in because I was just freshly training as a financial planner at the time. And I thought I had to scratch myself and go, "Really, this is coming from the coalition?" And yet, the amount of hyperbole around that was nowhere near the level of hyperbole that we're seeing now around this. Yet, you know, when you think about the fairness. You know, I've got in the list of questions I sent through to you, you know, is the transfer balance cap fair? Is Division 293 fair? And these are all, I guess, attacks on very high level earnings. You know, another one of the issues that you've pointed out in your article is about indexation. And again, this one, just again, it befuddles me. Why would you not index this? Yeah, this is another big issue. Um, The lack of indexation is going to capture more people over time, particularly through bracket creep. So it's going to be this $3 million is going to be far worth less, um, you know, in future dollars under a whole range of assumptions. So although the government said has said that only 80,000 people would be impacted today, there has been some research that um, has been done that that says or suggests that about 500,000 Australian taxpayers will breach that threshold in their life when if we're looking at that figure of 500,000, approximately one-third of those um, members are now under 30. So this was done by the um, Financial Services Council and it was some interesting, uh, an interesting research where they provided some examples and one that stuck with me was a 25-year-old IT professional earning $100,000 salary and has a current super balance today of $35,000, they will certainly reach that $3 million threshold by the time they retire at 65 through the lack of no indexation. And yet again, we've got to talk about its proposed legislation. So, I mean, you are far better engaged in this legislative process, certainly, than I am. And I, I guess for my own sanity's sake, I try to keep away from Canberra for a whole range of different reasons. But I, I guess the curiosity, given that the, the current government doesn't have the numbers in the Senate, um, what is the likelihood, uh, like many of the zombie measures that the coalition brought in that never actually got legislated, is this reality? Are we looking at this as being sabre-rattling by the Labor government or is uh, are these actually going to come into play or will they be defeated in the Senate? Yeah, good question. Um, so consultation period has ended. We are expecting to see draft legislation on this any day now. Um, we think that's going to be sometime this year, um, most definitely wow. before the end of the year. Uh, so that's going to give rise to another consultation period, uh, which will give industry some time to work through it and make further submissions. Um, but practically speaking, once all this consultation period is, has ended, we probably will see it get introduced into government early next year. So this, the bill, um, as it is introduced into parliament, the the success of it will really hinge on the crossbench support. So this is mm. really those independent senators or the members of um, the House of Representatives and other minor uh, minority party members. So it's all going to come down to uh, the crossbench um, and it's, what we're going to be focusing on, particularly our advocacy efforts, is focusing on the crossbench and making sure that they understand how the tax works, all these nuances, all of these issues, and make them understand that 
unrealized capital gains and the lack of indexation and all of the other issues that come along with it um, are the key issues. And to try and change those aspects anyway, those aspects of the proposed new tax, should this get legislated. So, you know, that's going to be our our, our position and our push um, as part of uh, advocacy efforts. So, look, one of the things we're going to do, listeners and, and viewers, is we're going to post a link to Natasha's article uh, to uh, all the, the resources where we push this content out to. But one of the, the curious things to me, you know, the, the, the stance that you've written here is uh, an IFPA stance. So the, the professional association has come back, it's considered view and these six points there. So I, I guess it begs the question, should, for example, the aspect of you know unrealized gains being taxed and and some of this just ridiculous administration that, that that's being proposed. I mean, I just looked on it. That, that just makes no sense. But if we put if if that's able to be resolved with the crossbench, for example, simply giving them a wish list and saying that's off the table, that's off the table, that's off the table. If we get back to the core thrust of what we're talking about here and having a cap that potentially is indexed over the life of you know, the, the the next 30, 40 years, would IFPA be supportive then if the, the basic thrust of what they're trying to do is to minimise the, the balances so that super does fall within the, the realms of the income review that you were talking about in the first half of today's show? Yeah, look, if if we have to have an extra tax on, on high balances, then we would support it if if the uh, if the settings or the of or the design of the tax would work. Now, initially, um, our view is that we already have uh, contribution caps in place. We already have a transfer balance cap in place, um, right? So those things, and we already have a, a law in in the legislation that says, you know, upon death, your superannuation balance must be cashed out of the system. So there, this argument that these high balances remain uh, in super um, and are left for inheritance is actually not true because you need to cash out your balance upon death. So with with time, um, these large and high balances will need to leave the system. And with that rule and the, the limited contribution caps and how much you can have in pension phase, we already have all of these things to limit how much you can mm. keep in super and limit the tax concessions on there within super. So effectively, we don't we don't think you need this, this additional $3 million cap because we already have so many other caps in place. But if we must, and I say if we must have an extra tax, <laughs> um, then the settings need to change. We need to remove unrealised gains from the definition. We need to just be looking at an extra tax on actual taxable income. We need to yeah. look at indexation. So I say it hesitant, um, hesitantly that we, we oppose it, but if we need to have it, the settings need to change. I think it begs the question that that I think we can only really leave out there for people to ponder because I think you've made a valid point in the first half that, you know, maybe this is a shot across the bow because when I looked at uh, you know, when when I first heard the announcement, I thought, yeah, not happy, but, you know, okay, maybe there's a, a truth, of, an element there. But you make the valid point. Mother Nature is going to take care of these high balances. Sooner or later in the next 15, 20 years, all these people with high balances ain't going to be around. So they're going to be gone. So what are we really doing here? Are we really bringing in a policy that makes sense uh, for that level of, you know, higher uh, balances? 
Uh, and I think we've both agreed there that that's possibly not. Or are we potentially laying the groundwork for something potentially a little bit more sinister? And this is where, uh, from a, a, an outsider and a you know taking one step back type of view, I, I sometimes wonder if the government's just inviting the kind of fights that they don't really need right now. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And you know, I mentioned in that example where I think it was a 35-year-old person earning $100,000 by the time they reach 65. Exactly. It's going to capture this, you know, this this uh, unindexed $3 million cap will capture more people, more everyday people in the future. So, yes, it's a tax on you know, high balances right now, but in the future, it's just going to be a normal everyday tax that will capture a lot of people. And as you say, is it sinister? You know, if it gets legislated, then yes, it, there's the real risk that it gets it applied to other entities. But we've just seen so much change to superannuation over the years. And every time there's a funding issue, um, it, it almost feels like superannuation becomes the public purse and gets dipped into. But it, and you know, the, people are losing confidence in the, in in the uh, superannuation system. People do need confidence; they need the stability of super system, and that they need to know that major changes like this won't be unexpectedly thrust upon them, right? Um, and they need to have more. they need to have uh, that certainty to make sure that the decisions they make today um, that they can plan for their retirement, knowing that the rules won't change dramatically between you know the time that they put money in and the time that they retire so that's the uh that's that's our view anyway i think we can comfortably say both sides of uh, of the ledger in the political sphere are guilty of that and uh certainly in the lead up to the last federal election i was just scratching my head going my god super's going to be the 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 the, the, <laughs> the answer to all our woes natasha we're out of time today it's always a pleasure to have you on, have you on the show i welcome you back as soon as you possibly can come back to us it's always a real good chat uh, listeners, we're going to put the links to uh, Natasha's article. Uh, and again, always uh, please go to ifpa.com.au. That's where you'll find all the good stuff. There's a lot of really good free information there as well. Natasha Panagis from the Institute of Financial Professionals Australia, thank you for being on Thanks, Donald Ray. Making sense. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me.